He's kind of like the Joe Rogan of the hospitality industry right now. We're, we're managing these very big programs for these very big enterprise clients. And yeah. so our, our scale is built around that. Um, and that feature, that 360 prop tech tool is something that was the, the big part of when, when, when reside came to life in 2017, a big part of that was to take this concept of this prop tech um, that I had developed in other companies and accelerate it into this new, this new world of alternative accommodations. Welcome to Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast where we discuss all things hospitality, hotels, and business. You can find us online at slicktalkthepodcast.com and on every podcast listening platform. As I've been growing my business and finding new ways to add to my property portfolio, I have to think about how I can anticipate the homeowner's needs, just like I do for my guests. One of the things owners always ask is, how is my property going to be protected? What happens if something gets damaged or worse? These are valid questions and concerns, and I have an opportunity to address these concerns before they even get mentioned, all thanks to having Safely as part of my toolkit. I can ensure all stakeholders are covered during a guest stay and use this information as a way to grow my business by ensuring my property owners know they can trust that I have them covered. If you're a professional property manager, then you need to get safely in your tool belt so you can focus on operating and growing your business. Thanks for listening to Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast. Now, back to an episode. All right, everybody, welcome back to Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast. I'm your host, Will Slickers, and today we have a great guest on the show, as we always do, because we have nothing but the best of the best on the podcast <laughs> at all times. Uh, so, Lee, I'm so excited to welcome you to Slick Talk. How are you doing today, and where are you coming from? I am doing great. I'm sitting here in a beautiful, sunny Woodenville, Washington, outside of Seattle, and excited to be on the show. Awesome. Well, man, I feel like if I didn't have all these crazy virtual meetings, like you probably do too, uh, I should have driven up to your uh, neck of the woods and we should have done an in-person podcast. That would have been cool. We but, could have done this in one of my favorite bars in Redmond called Palmer's and we uh, could have uh, finished up with some karaoke. Oh, I'm down for that. Maybe the, <laughs> that'd be like a private release episode that the podcasters will have to subscribe to see. Um, but no, that's awesome. Uh, awesome. Well, I'm excited to jump into your story Lee, if you want to kind of just introduce who you are, your background, getting into vacation rentals, hotels, hospitality, all this stuff that we talked about, uh, and of course, what you do with Reside and what that kind of ended up becoming about. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Um, well, my name's Lee Curtis. I'm the uh, co-founder and CEO of Reside Worldwide, headquartered here in Seattle. Uh, Reside is uh, the parent company to a company that may, maybe many of your uh, folks on this podcast know called Aboda. Aboda is a kind of out here in the, in the Pacific Northwest, kind of a household name and temporary accommodation. has been here over 30 years. So um, uh, I was president of that organization for uh, seven years and then, um, or I'm sorry, five years, and then partnered with uh, my, my partners up in Canada, a private equity firm called Westbridge to, to purchase Aboda and then move it into the Reside family as part of a, a move toward uh, creating a much more, I think, nimble uh, uh, alternative accommodations product offering for for, for you know business uh, clients that we serve. Um, so that's that's kind of where I sit today. Um, my my career, you know, I, I think it's it'd be easy to say that my career has been hospitality since. Since I was a, uh, a wee bellman at a Hyatt in 1983, and um, you know, while I did have a, a stint of college in there, obviously uh, I couldn't escape the gravitational pull of hospitality. So I ended up back at a Hyatt uh, after college, and uh, then got into corporate apartment service uh, back in um, 1994. Um, and have really been in that space ever since and have watched that industry, you know, grow and evolve and mature since that time. Um, I've had the opportunity to, to run a couple global companies during that time. 
uh, is, you know, but one time with uh, interstate hotels, uh, which I'm sure some of you are very aware of oh, yeah. that, that used to own um, what, what used to be known as bridge street. Um, and then uh, I then again, partnered with another private equity firm back in 2006 and purchased bridge street from interstate hotels. And we ran that as a private entity until 2014, uh, at which point we sold out to Versa Capital in Philly. And then I came over to, to Aboda to really kind of take all those lessons learned uh, and, and re, you know, rethink how Aboda could grow from a super regional Seattle-based organization into the global company that it is today with Reside. So that's the, that's the very condensed version of my, of my, of my journey. Well, it's the, the full circle. It's kind of crazy to see from Bellman to CEO and founder of, of something so huge and so big, like, you know, Aboda and now reside. But uh, I'm curious to know just from like a personal standpoint, what was the pull? Like what kept pulling you back to hospitality? You know, from, cause you just started as a Bellman, you go to college, you come back, and of course, hi, it's a great brand to work with and yeah. uh, very well known and respected brand. But what was that pull for you? Yeah, you know, and, and it's uh, probably a couple of things. I'd say one one of the things that was just a fluke was that I ended up at a high to start with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're you're doing enough of these podcasts. And if you're, you know, depending on who you're interviewing, uh, you know, Hyatt's got its own way of operating, very different than Marriott, right? Very different than a lot of the brands. And I loved Hyatt in those days. Um, because it was really a kind of a sink or swim sort of position that was growing fast. They, they had just moved into the early, this is a bit we're, so we're going back to 1983 just yeah. so we could do it. So well before you were born, um, but they had just moved into those atrium hotels uh, from the original Hyatt house in LA. Um, they were just growing so fast. And, you know, you, you know, they, they gave you such opportunity at such a young age to yeah. do more. You know, I was a bellman at 18, but I was a bell captain you know, 18 months later, which is unheard of. That wouldn't happen today. Um, and I just love that, you know, they gave you, you know, objectives in terms of how things should run and then gave you really no instruction to get there. Yeah. And it appealed to me, <laughs> you know, it appealed to my, my, my sense of, I think, um, logic and how things should work. And, um, you know, so I, I, I can't say, you know, I was drawn to it initially because I just love to serve, um, but you know, as I went through college and went into the, I was in the military for a while, went through ROTC while I was in college mm-hmm. and then, you know, came back into the Hyatt world, uh, it still was like that. Um, but I really started to, um, I think hone in on that. I, I had, you know, a unique perspective towards service. I found problem solving, uh, just to be exhilarating and, you know, to me, you know, you know, service and problem solving kind of go hand in hand, mm-hmm. you know, especially, you know, you know, the first hotel was a 373 room, you know, convention hotel in Flint, Michigan. Um, the second one was a 771 room hotel in Dearborn, Michigan. That was a pure turn and burn convention hotel. And yeah. you know, I was everything from the front office manager uh, in that monster and, uh, to the executive uh, director of housekeeping on the other end. So I got to, you know, I was a rooms guy both times. Yeah. Um, and nothing but just an onslaught of problems, right. That come in the face of convention hotels. And I just loved it. It was, a, it was, I guess you could say there's an adrenaline rush to running something of that size and having so many things you influence and, you know, not just, you're not just presenting a product, you know, you're, you're managing different types of people and you're, you're, you're motivating different types of people and training, uh, and, and, you know, I was younger then, obviously, and I still had all this army experience wrapped yeah. in it. Like, they kind of lived together, frankly. Um, so I just I just love the excitement of it. And I love the idea that you could point to a job well done. You know, you know, and let, have you have you worked a front desk before? Have you ever been in that side of the business? I started out as a front office uh, front desk agent for a 716 room convention hotel Okay. Two restaurants, sixty thousand yeah. uh, square foot of event space, valet, you name it. So yeah, isn't, isn't, it, isn't it funny? We always know exactly the number of rooms when yeah. we work at a hotel. Yeah, like no. seven seventy one is seared into my brain. Yeah, it's you know? it's a curse. Like it's a like yeah. in a good way. It's like a cool curse. And I have military yeah. army experience as well. So like hearing your story, I'm like, damn, like that's a hundred percent what I was going through at the same time. Uh, just yeah, it's, it's yeah. yeah because I, I don't consider my military style you know, very different from my management style. I was never a, 
you know, it was probably the time that I was in the military, you know, I got commissioned in 90, I was in the infantry, which you think has got a really hardcore edge to it, but you were still dealing with the volunteer army, you know, so you can't be that mean because people can can quit, right? Uh, They don't have to be there. So, you know, you wanted to get people to follow you because they wanted to follow you, right? Not because they had to follow you. And then, and I think that was always my, how I approached things in the military. And then, you know, when I was at the, in my hotel career, it was very, I guess, not very different, but there was certainly something to be said, certainly from the front desk side, right? 770 room hotel that was regularly sold out, you know, you know, when you've done a good job, when you've walked, you know, a gold passport guy at midnight to another hotel, (laughs) right? And he's not, trying to kill you. Yeah. Right. So, so and there's something satisfying about that. It's satisfying something about a, a perfect sellout, which, you know, again, there's only a handful of people on this podcast that understand how hard it is to, to create the perfect sellout. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a game, right? So yeah. the uh, amount of Tetris you're playing on the back end is insane. All, yeah. all Tetris, right. And we had big city wides, right. Where you'd be overbooked on day of by a hundred rooms waiting for 6 PM to hit that cancellation button and get it down to 20. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I could go on forever, but I loved it. So it was just, it was cool. And it was, it was cool, motivating, especially in the front desk side, mm-hmm. you know, you got those, the young, it, they're all the front agents are usually pretty young. Right. So, and, and so you got to convince them that this is, a good day for you too, as you're, if you got a thousand people in line waiting to check in for like a, a DECA conference or something. So, um, but yeah, it was, you know, so that was, you know, the hotel stuff, that was my two major hotels. Um, you know, then I pivoted into corporate housing, which was more of a fluke than anything. A, a guy that I knew that worked at that Hyatt had moved on to property management. And then he would in turn had taken over the, the corporate housing division of that property management mm-hmm. firm it was called Village Suites out of Detroit. And I had known him through just, you know, some parties and things because all the hotel people, as you know, flock yeah. together. <laughs> yeah. TGI Fridays like they, we used to. Like, they still do. They still they, do. I know. <laughs> Where else do you go? Where else do you go on a Sunday night with TGI Fridays? Yeah. 1 a.m. Um, in the so morning. We, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So he, um, so anyway, he started talking to me about this concept, right? And um, the one thing, about Hyatt was Hyatt is a big promote from within company. So another thing I loved about it, um, but they're also a promote from within move around company. And I, at the time, you know, I was in Michigan, I was settling in with the family. I wasn't really at that point ready to start jumping all over, you know, the place is chasing my hospitality career. But I also knew I was going to limit myself. You know, I wasn't going to become a rooms director, you know, in that hotel more than likely. Yeah. So I started thinking about other things and, and that collided with this call. Hey, do you want to come over here and help me run this corporate housing company? Which, you know, I did like 30 days of interviews trying to figure out what are you talking? I still don't understand what you're talking about, but you know, I liked the, I, I got, I understood it conceptually. Um, and then I fell into it in October of 1994 mm-hmm. uh, and just, you know, fell into, you know, Nirvana for myself. I mean, talk about a business that not only gives you all the problems to solve, but then the the intricacies of managing it across all of these different apartment communities around the Detroit metro area. So you can't jump on an elevator, solve a problem. You yeah. gotta get ahead of the problem so you don't ever have to drive somewhere else. So it just it fit me because it still had that problem solving component. It had that service component, had the quality component. Like all the things I learned at Hyatt, I was able to bring to bear. Yeah. And again, I think because I was raised in a, in a management environment that didn't give you a manual like other chains do, mm-hmm. you, you had to be quick. You know, you had to make really quick decisions and learn and and, you know, it's almost like machine learning. Right. You just had to get ahead of things. And, you know, so that was 1994. And, you know, I have, you know, director of operations and then just the career path you know, bumped me around to a couple of different places, you know, as we got bought by companies. And then, yeah. I, you know, and then I, I would say that, you know, the big, the big jump for me was I was in Dallas. I was uh, running an operation, uh, not unlike a Boda here in Seattle. It was a fully contained corporate housing operation. that had its own furniture division, had its own housekeeping, had its own everything, which is not normal mm-hmm. for corporate housing. Um, and I liked it a lot. I liked Dallas. So Michigan to Dallas, that's, that's a good move. <laughs> yeah. Real house, houses are brand new and cheap. I was on the water with a boat. I thought I'd live there forever. 
And then I got recruited to go to D.C. to be the senior VP of operations for Bridge Street. Mm-hmm. That was part of Interstate Hotels. So that's how I ended up there. Um, and, you know, none of it was a pre like there nowhere in my history would you would I have circled some said someday I want to be running this company or be CEO. I just kind of kept following the, the the opportunities. Yeah. And then when I got there, the next one presented itself. So, you know, I got there in 2000, 2003, I was president of that division for interstate. Um, you know, and then again in 06, you know, had the opportunity to, to partner and try to buy it and bought it from interstate and became CEO. And, you know, yeah. This keeps just getting kept, bigger and bigger. Just kept, yeah, it just kept getting bigger and bigger. And yeah. I, you know, I've been blessed with um, not, not just the opportunity, but, you know, I've had, you know, if you look now, like if you went to our website and looked at my executive team, mm. you'd be able to cross-reference that against the, the, the team I've been with kind of almost the whole time. I mean, yeah. there's elements of the same people. It's the same band, more or less, just different people play cowbell. But, you know, for the most part, you know, it's a lot of the same folks that have been with me on this journey. So it's been, you know, I've been very gratified to, you know, sure. have yeah. that, uh, you know, to have that loyalty, but also have such skill uh, yeah. in, in, to, to point back to. I love that. And I wanted to ask you a little bit earlier was, uh, you know, with the, your, it's kind of going back to the beginning of the Bellman phase, right? So your first time Bellman, Ooh. then going into ROTC and, and the military, uh, what did you see the mace like the massive difference like when you got home and like when you went back to be that bellman again? Uh, did you see that massive difference like with the attention to detail and the overall like discipline you had in your job? Or do you think that was like a big impact on how that kind of got you to where you are? Or was that <clears throat> really the uh, was that really no difference for you? Because for me, like before the military and after like basic training and coming home and like actually being like, oh, I'm back in instilled into normal life again. Uh, that I saw a huge difference. It was like, I don't operate the way I used to, mm. right? Like um, the, I, I take more pride and there's a different kind of confidence that kind of comes mm. with it. But I'm just kind of curious if that was the same thing for you. Yeah. Well, first of all, what, what branch were you, what was your MOS? Army 88 Mike. So I was a truck driver. Yeah. yeah. 88 Mike. I love those guys. Yeah. yeah. No, you, we don't, I was light infantry. So, you know, it, I needed to hitch a ride with you guys. Cause exactly. if not, they made me walk everywhere. Yeah. I was going to say, <laughs> we, I was gonna say there's usually infantry and 88 Mike right next to them. Like you have an yeah. infantryman, you have a truck driver with them. Yeah. 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 Well, the other thing we said, there's nothing light about light infantry. Nothing. So, uh, which is why we need some trucks to move <laughs> our rucks around. So we don't really want to carry them. Yeah. Um, that's, you know, that's, no one's ever asked me that question, chicken or egg. Um, so obviously as a Bellman, I had an affinity for uniforms. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that was, that was probably their first, I would say, um, I had some natural leadership instincts, um, but the military poise and presence that I gained from my time and I went through two different things. So I did it a little bit different. Um, I, I started straight up 11 Bravo OSET at Benning mm-hmm. 16 weeks. Yep. Um, in between my sophomore and junior years in college with no, no idea that I was going to go to ROTC. Yeah. Um, I did it because I want, I need just, I did it very selfishly needed the ROT needed the uh, GI bill to help me pay for college. And I had buddies that were already in an 11 Bravo unit in Flint, Michigan um, that I was like, Hey, this will be cool. One weekend a month, two weeks a year. Mm -hmm. Right. Some money. I mean, I wasn't, you know, I'd, I'd love to say it was as patriotic as it sounds, um, but it was, a, it was a little bit more, more monet- initially yeah. oriented toward, you know, just, it was a smart way to deal with some economic problems. Right. 100%. It was a means uh, to an end, right? It wasn't like yeah, it was a means to an end. Uh, but little did I know when I got there, I would take to it like I did. And it was, it was, it really surprised me because, mm-hmm. you know, yes, my dad was in the military yeah. and he was in the air force and I had family members that were in it. Um, and then my brother and I incidentally left, uh, left the MEP station in Detroit on the same exact day. He went to artillery. I went to 11 Bravo. Oh, wow. So, I mean, so we both got into it, I think for the similar reasons, um, you know, again, to help defray expenses that my parents were covering for college. Um, but once I got there and once I got over the, the initial shock and awe, and I think only of those of us that have been to basic training can talk about it, but you, you, that first two weeks is a blur. It sucks. I just <laughs> found that I had this uncanny ability to listen <laughs> And do what I was told, which is half the battle at, 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 at basic trading. hundred uh, percent. And then after that, I just, you know, I, I found myself suddenly in, in, in like inadvertently getting into p- positions of leadership within basic training. 
And because it was a 16 week course, I had the opportunity then to become the platoon guide, Mm -hmm. you know, and I was kind of running things for the drill sergeants the last probably six weeks. And they didn't replace me. They usually tore through platoon guides all the time, but I just happened to do a good job at it. And somewhere in there, it just all clicked. And then they pulled me aside because they didn't really know my deal. My deal was, Hey, I need to, I need to get out of here by this date because I got to get back to college. Yeah. Right. I don't have time to be recycled or anything. Like <laughs> I have to get out of here. Yeah. And um, so I did everything in my power to stay healthy and get through, but they're like, Hey, we'd like, you know, we, you're, we would like you to be considered becoming an officer. You know, you could go to OCS. Right. And I'm like, you know, and I'm going back to college. Yeah, right. Like but I got but, my, my own idea. <laughs> yeah. I, thank you very much. But in that leaving and then in the two weeks before college started, something was like, you know, I should take a look at ROTC. You know, I get to jump right into the three slot in ROTC because I did a full basic training. So I'm yeah. considered, you know, I, I have that experience now. And, and I, you know, I, I took it in. Uh, they, they accepted me. I did what the tests I had to do. And next thing you know, I was accepted into the ROTC program at Central Michigan. And I had a wonderful two years there um, becoming an officer. But I think all of it, to, to your question, I kept refining. Um, I, my style started to tighten up. Mm. You know, because I, I think, you know, I think I might have had some natural tendencies and abilities around leadership and some natural ideas about being a good, you know, a servant leader, like I, I, I'd like to think of myself as. And, but military really helped me refine my style. I think give myself a, a, a purpose to it, like, you know, it's purposeful leadership, yeah. right? And then you add to it, you know, uh, discipline, a military poise, right? The idea of image, mm-hmm. Right. And, and, and how things like, like, like how things should look and feel. Yeah. Right. Like, like, you know, so, and it's guided me really You take that ROTC experience and blend it with my last two years of college, which are all the upper courses. And, you know, ROTC is training you on leadership principles and act real active leadership opportunities. Yet you're still learning over here. I just found it to be this remarkable, perfect blend of college that, I'd recommend if anyone could, if you can do it, do it. Yeah. Uh, Cause it's, it separates you slightly from your peer group because you're not like, like it's, you know, 5.00 AM on a Friday, regardless of what I did Thursday night, I had to get up and run <laughs> battalion runs. I mean, yeah. there's things you had to do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, I think somewhere in there, my, my, what, what I would consider my style was born, which is, is really, you know, wouldn't, I don't think it would have come without the military opportunity. I really don't. I think I would have been a lot, it might have taken me longer or I might not have developed the way I wanted to mm-hmm. uh, or the way I ended up. So, no, I totally agree. I'm in the same boat. I, I said the same thing to a friend was like, look, if I, if I didn't go into the army at the time I did, you know, I don't think I would have had the career or even the, the opportunity that I'm at now, you know, running my own businesses and doing all this other stuff, having the discipline to create and you know, do this other things. It's just not, it's not natural well, there. Well, no. And, and I think one of the things the army tries to teach you um, is, you know, calm under fire. Yeah, right. And, and and I think, you know, I've been through, geez, you know, three black swan events with nine 11 and 08 and now COVID, um, you know, and I think there, there's a lot of benefit to being able to, you know, stay calm and, and think through problems because everyone's looking at you, you know, the further yeah. you go up the, the line, the more everyone's looking at you to be the calm, you know, the calm, rational person during a crisis. Yeah. 100%. Um, even though, you know, you can be churning up on the inside, but you just innately know that you can't display that because the second you do, you could you could lose control of everything. And, and you know, the, the army certainly teaches you. I think all the military branches teaches you how to kind of you know, uh, uh, you know deal with problems you know as they come at you in a way that that allows you to think through them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so definitely. Well, now I'm kind of glad that you brought up COVID because with reside, like so, kind of talking about your was kind of. Fast forward now, we went super deep into the past, and now with Reside, like you guys, uh, you know, let's talk about the size of portfolio you're operating, and then with COVID happening, talking about that leadership, you know, calm under fire type deal, uh, what's it been like for you guys with the business in the beginning, leading to where we are today? It's it's been a kind of a crazy journey for everybody, but I can't imagine uh, with your guys' scale and, you know, size that you would... Um, have any kind of unique lessons or, or stories to tell from that? Um, 
Yeah, you know, the the scale, our scale is, is you know, so we're broken into reside companies, right? Yeah. Reside's the parent company. Within that portfolio, we have Aboda, which is our leased operation here out in Seattle. That also, you know, we have other leased projects around the country, but this is the core leased project, which means for, I guess, for your audience doesn't know, in the typical classic corporate housing program, you know, you will lease an apartment you know, any multifamily apartment that fits your needs, you will furnish it, you will accessorize it, you will turn on all the, you know, all the uh, uh, utilities, and you have a one bundle, you know, turnkey operation that you will then resell back out to the general public or, you know, other company, typically other companies, but, you know, it does, it can lend itself to B2C. And that's, that's a lease arbitrage. So, you, you know, you charge, you pay X, you charge Y, and you make the difference. Uh, you take all the risk of the lease, so it's a very asset heavy model. Um, we also have a couple, uh, a handful of managed properties around the country where we fee manage. So very hotel like. Matter of fact, the contracts look just like a hotel management contract where we manage uh, the whole operation and all the employees on behalf of the owner for a, a, you know a percent of revenue fee plus you know incentive kickers. So yeah. We have a handful of these in New York, Minnesota, Seattle. Um, that, you know, and then we have an on-base suites product. So back to the military, we do actively manage uh, excess inventory for some of the military bases around the country. Okay. Um, and we backfill those with, you know, contractors and other approved personnel into ba- on-base housing, mm. right? And especially in the face when you think about in the last 10 years, how a lot of the bases have shut down, mm-hmm. you know, well over 50% of the, the standing army uh, uh, or the same military today is reserve. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so they're not actively on the basis. So you have a lot of gaps with this, with some really wonderful military housing. So we, we run a couple programs that do that. Uh, and then, you know, the, the 360, the reside 360 uh, brand is our tech platform. This is our prop tech. Um, uh, and that allows us to connect uh, a, a very large disparate, supply chain of alternative accommodation offerings, whether it's traditional corporate housing, service departments, apart hotels, regular hotels, student housing, uh, vacation housing, all of these different supply chains are, are aggregated up into our marketplace and, and then vetted through some proprietary technology uh, integrations, whether it's on uh, uh, compliance and duty of care features, all the way down to just how, you know, cleanliness and quality all these things conspire to develop what we call a business for business product that then we then, you know, sell back out globally to the corporate clients that we serve. And that's the breadth of that's pretty large, right? That, you know, and it's on, it's, it's on demand, meaning it's, it's not our static inventory. It's inventory that we, we dip into, but we have over a million options in 60 countries, you know, um, around the world. And we're, we're actively placing, like sitting here right now, I, I have no doubt we're putting some people in Luxembourg right now. We're putting a handful in Bangladesh, a couple in Nigeria, a couple in New York. You know, I mean, it just, we're, we're managing these very big programs for these very big enterprise clients. And yeah. so our, our scale is built around that. Um, and that feature, that 360 prop tech tool is something that was the, the big part of when, when, when reside, came to life in 2017 a big part of that was to take this concept of this prop tech um, that i had developed in other companies and accelerate it into this new this new world of alternative accommodations so you know when you think of alternative accommodations you know a lot of you know if you if you follow skift and some of those other areas you'll you'll hear them talk about the strs the short-term rental companies right Mm -hmm. and you know right now there's there's one dominant one called sonder which, you know, maybe you've had Francis on the show, um, and, and then others that emulated them, but all, all none of them made the corner in COVID. No matter of fact, most of them didn't even make the first two months of COVID. Yeah, three um, weeks, so, a couple of them were, were out. Yeah, really. which, yeah. you know, for, for those old and cynical ones like us that watch it, like we didn't get it to start with. I think Sonder has, has, has found the excitement of the investment market to stay behind it, and I sure. think it's got a really interesting place um, and likely will succeed because um, they're a little more diverse in how they think of themselves. But yeah. I think 
I think the build it and you will come model is a very dangerous one when you're dealing with pure lease arbitrage. I mean, mm-hmm. you have no room to go, but down uh, when you're dealing with just B to C on a short term level. I mean, the thing that makes our business work the way it does is we, we average, you know, you know, close to 80 days of occupancy per stay. So that gives you a lot of room to deal with occupancy. Yeah. If you're doing if you're turning and burning every three days, in the same product, it doesn't, it doesn't really lend itself to, to, to working. You got to have a nice blend of all those business lines. So, so that's kind of the offering of reside. You know, we have a couple hundred employees worldwide. We have offices in Singapore in the UK. Um, We have our our core office here uh, in a pretty, pretty active remote group around the world that works for us. Hey, I hope you guys are enjoying this episode, and I wanted to drop in quickly to let you know that our partners at Jetstream have some of the best-in-class technology that sits at the heart of the guest experience with a focus on generating revenue for your property assets. With their platform, your property gets the best-in-class tech and integrations to remote access, guest screening, booking protection, and payment processing. Better yet, their team does all of the hard work of 24-7 guest communication and content creation. So go ahead, click the link in the show notes so you can jump on board today and take advantage of their professional hospitality team. Now, we're back to the episode. And then, you know, I guess, you know, from the COVID perspective, the, you know, we got hit like everybody, yeah. um, you know, in March, March 5th, America, I remember where I was when it started, because we were just coming back from New York, uh, me and my executives from some uh, investor meetings. You know, by the end of the following week, you knew we were in it. But by the end of the following week of that, yeah. we'd already rebuilt our entire fiscal budget. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and you know, again, t- to your point, the lessons learned of previous what I call black swan events is you can't move fast enough or deep enough. And, you, you know, I, I'm more I, I'm a glass half full guy yeah. until you get into a firefight like that. And then I'm glad I'm, I'm glad like you, you got to get to the bottom as quickly as you can, like. So we, you know, we cut everything we could cut, you know, we, we, we assume the worst, you know, cause you can always come back, but you can be too late to cut. You got to yeah. conserve cash. So we did all the, we did everything you do. We probably cut our workforce by 40% within two weeks. Mm. Um, we saw where it was heading and, you know, the, the thing that was interesting and, and that was primarily to get the Seattle market right size because the 360 platform scales as needed. So there is really isn't anything to do there, but either it is, is it just can grow. Yeah. Right. And when it, when it shrinks, it just shrinks in revenue, but you have no lease cost in there because it's matched. It's a matched lease kind of system. If that makes sense to you. And yeah, it does. So, but because we had just, you know, that technology had been refined during 2019 and early 2020 beta tested with some big companies here in Seattle, you know, it was poised for growth. And we were like, Oh crap, COVID's coming. We're going to stall. And suddenly a number of these companies were clamoring for this, this technology because mm-hmm. what we were able to do was, you know, not only, you know, cause the tool does a number of things, right? It's, it's, it's a marketplace with a bid platform built into it. So it naturally helps to, to manage rate so we're able to save our clients that are on it, you know, usually 20 to 30%. Um, and then we're also able to layer a workflow process across the globe through this tool, you know, give them line of sight into all of the activities of their employees, you know, which was important during COVID, mm-hmm. right? And also give them some, some, some assurances around, you know, uh, safety and compliance and duty of care, things that are very important to corporate buyers. And so suddenly they were a lot more interested in that kind of offering versus just a standard marketplace where they could just buy and, you know, let, let people sort it out on themselves. So suddenly we were getting a lot of interest and we were able to turn on a few big companies all like within April and May and the business pivoted heavily after that. So, you know, where today, where two years ago, I would have said that the Seattle based business was 70, 80% of the business. Yeah. I would say now that it's the other way around 360 Mm. is now the dominant, uh, the dominant offering of reside and the one that we continue to see tremendous growth in, especially because there's so much interest you know, driven by Airbnb and some of the others around the idea of 
you know, experiential living yeah. and alternative, alternative accommodation. So things that aren't hotels mm-hmm. are sort of suddenly more in vogue with the corporate traveler than, than, um, than they've ever been. And that's been, you know, that interest has been great for us because it, yeah. it, it allows us to cross, I think, cross the barriers of concerns over that style of housing because they're more universally accepted than they used to be. Yeah. And was the 360 to be the 70% versus your Seattle-based business, 30%, was that intentionally a plan, whether COVID happened or not? Like, was that kind of the goal you were going to be pushing for with Reside and the 360 platform? Or is were you guys always kind of expecting that the Seattle base would be kind of that that bread and butter for Reside? Um, well, when, uh, I th- we always knew that the tech would eclipse the opco. Mm-hmm. At some point, um, how far it would go, you know, we've had five-year plans that, you know, saw exceptional growth out of it. I didn't expect Seattle to drop, right? Yeah. So that was yeah. the thing that COVID, you know, just hit everybody the same. So we had this big drop then, that you know, and again, two, it's, and it stabilized. So that was the other thing I'll talk about, but it dropped and then 360 took off. What I expected to happen was Puget Sound's pretty consistent and it has been for many years. 360 would just eventually have grown past it. So we had two things happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but I never pegged it to how a number, I think the longer we've been doing it and the more, um, the more understood the product is, the more understood the sector is mm-hmm. the bigger the TAM has gotten um, to the extent that, you know, our, my belief is that, you know, every, every major, fortune 500 company out there has a significant amount of this extended travel embedded in it yeah. uh, that, that they're using many different ways to get there. I and mean, we, we stumble into it all the time where people are, have built their own, their own kind of ad hoc supply chain systems, whether it's using Excel or some other tool and they're trying to manage disparate companies around the globe. And, and all it's done has gotten harder and harder. And then they didn't know there's a tool, right? And so we get this really unique opportunity of being able to come through the door with an answer to a problem they already have where they didn't even know that there was, A, maybe an, uh, an aggregation opportunity or, e, B, even how wide or deep the industry is. So, um, you know, we see it as tremendous. I mean, it's, you know, the, the, you know Seattle will always be our, our crown jewel. Yeah. Um, but you know, the crown jewel is sits inside of a crown, right? <laughs> we think, we think 360 will continue because, because there's no limit to how far we can go with 360 with that much inventory and that many opportunities uh, to do what we do. You know, uh, Seattle's kind of, um, I mean, I, the limit will be based upon how much opportunity there is here to, you know, secure inventory, which has yeah. gotten harder. It's a, it's a different market. I don't think a lot of people understand that like when you tell them, like, I'm not from Seattle because I'm a little bit north, but I say I'm from Seattle because nobody knows where, you know, Kumano Island is or whatever, unless they're from here. And so they're like, oh, Seattle's great, blah, 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 blah. But they haven't been here. They don't see that. This is like, it's completely different right now, at, at least yeah. from my eyes. You know, the the inventory itself, the regulations, the way that uh, the alternative accommodation is, other than hotels, um, it's super different. Well, yeah. When you have Seattle, yeah. right, and it's and it's whatever you want to call its city council agenda, yeah, which isn't pro business, yeah, no, um, yeah. And then you got, but thank God you have the east side, right, and you have Belleville, Bellevue, and yeah. Redmond and Kirkland yeah. areas that are bit very business friendly. So you're starting to see a shift of business out of Seattle into these other regions. Mm-hmm. These other regions give us a lot more room to navigate the, this entire marketplace. Um, just Seattle by itself uh, is is hard, and yeah. you know, and it's expensive, and it's um, you know, there's a limited amount of inventory that can be built there. But I'm 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 shocked and almost in awe of what has been developed here on the east side over the last five years. You know, whether it's just little old town Redmond that now has yeah. twenty thousand new apartments in it. And not even, not even Redmond, just like seeing Bellevue and Kirkland and a few of the others just develop. Like Kirkland, it was always a nice spot for, in my opinion, like going you know going up there for, for uh, during high school and stuff like that was it's like yeah this is a nice area but seeing it now I'm like whoa it's like it's yeah. developed yeah and so no it is and, th- and thank god they've kept the waterfront kind of under yeah, control 100 um but uh but i mean there's not enough retail to even support 
Kirkland anymore, not downtown. Yeah. Uh, totally so, but, yeah. but yeah, so the, so, so the, you know, I think, you know, one of the things I, I, I say, you know, and I, as a matter of fact, I said to Steve Singh not too long ago, the founder of Concur, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like to give credit where credit's due is, you know, I like, I always like the idea of, you know, before Concur as expense management, there was Excel, right. Before Excel, there was Lotus, right. That, that's, that's all there's been forever. And then suddenly Concur comes along and, you know, creates a, a tool and a system that allows you to, you know, uh, aggregate expenses and, you know, uh, do some fraud checks and simplify the process and create efficiencies. Um, you know, to some extent, I think of 360 in the same vein, because before 360, there's spreadsheets. Um, you know, we're taking a different tack to it, but still the same kind of goals are in place, the same sort of companies are still the targets. You could almost look at a, a that concurs client list and go, yeah, that's the same companies we're talking to because mm-hmm. they, you know, if they're if they're big enough to have expense management systems, they're probably you know they probably likely have you know extended state travel and other yeah. types of travel that need to be managed. Like Deloitte. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Being a, yeah, being a big one with them. Yeah, that would. Yeah, yeah, Accenture and you know, I mean, I, I like you know one of the I, I was on some other interview or podcast and, and the, the person was uh, interested to understand that there's an entire, you know, subset of travel that revolves around, you know, uh, creating content, streaming services. And, 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 you know, in, in particular, all the shows that we watched during COVID right on Netflix and in Paramount, and all those, right. Yeah. I mean, every one of those shows, you know, has a cast and crew, that stays somewhere for extended periods of time, every one of them. Right. And there's, I think Netflix at any time is 150 shows under production. So all those people have to stay somewhere in an extended period of time. We, we luckily have inroads with companies like that Mm. um, and have the skill set to, to, to deliver, you know, those different styles of products. If you think about, I mean, it's probably a great example of if you think about what our offering is, right. So deep and wide, so deep meaning the A-list actor gets their super cool pad and it's super cool and very expensive and all the way down to, I guess, the grip yeah. who doesn't, <laughs> right? And we can, and, and everything in between, the director, right, uh, executive producers. So we can manage that entire ecosystem of stays in a price point, quality point in multiple locations around the globe simultaneously. That, you know, that, and that's just one vertical, right? Yeah. But it's a very, but I think it's a vertical that's very near and dear to all of us because we've all spent the last year sucking up all the content we could, right? And, I, and now they have a gap. They have a gap. Their, their content starved. They have to get back and start creating more content. I know the struggle. I know the struggle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Uh, that's, no, that's, why you're stuck, that's why you're stuck talking to me. You're like, oh, crap, but they got to find someone else. Oh, no, not at all. <laughs> not at all. It's just kind of it's kind of crazy to see the 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 uh, no pun intended the 360 uh you know full nice. circle come I need I want one of those by the way. Is that a, do I get one of those as a parting gift one yeah. of those uh, cool yeah. those all, boards? Yeah, all the podcast guests get a get a soundboard with uh pre-programmed buttons. <laughs> uh, awesome. No, uh, but like it's crazy to see like the full 360 that this industry has like with you know we got connected through Abode PR and then um you know just the inner workings of like even before we hit record you know christian lupinski with the i meet hotel a podcast i told him you know all these things it's kind of crazy to see how it comes together and how um like with you what you guys are doing with the 360 product and overall the inventory and the type of like and i love that you said experiential hospitality or experiential stays is that this is something that in my opinion and i want to like i guess i get this out, out with you as well but this type of stay is not going to leave. This isn't like a short-term trend. I think a lot of people are like, oh, COVID, we were trapped inside consuming so much content for the last year and a half. Now we're, we're starved for experiences. Yeah, that's true. There's a lot of truth behind that statement, but I think it's going to continue to say that the more operators, and I'm pretty sure a lot of people that you work with um, along you know, all this inventory across the world is that this is what we do professionally for a living mm-hmm. like this is a not this isn't like oh yeah like it's it's whatever you go ahead it's it's it's, it's people's lives that put their you yeah. know every heart second blood sweat and tears into uh and 
it's not going to go away. Like this is something that I think that finally everyone's been kind of not everyone, but like a lot of people that have been traveling, haven't been traveling, whatever are realizing this is something that they crave more than like, we're no longer accepting that previous standard of just being a check-in or a check-out where you get your room key, you go and you're done. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, that's it. Um, so it's going to cool to hear you talk about that. And especially, well, and, and I do, you know, to, to that point, you know, I do, you know, my, my, my roots are the corporate housing industry. That yeah. is the root of what I've grown up doing. And, you know, my evolution in, in with reside is, is certainly a reflection of all the things that are good about corporate housing. Definitely. There's, there's hundreds of corporate housing providers just in the U S alone yeah. that, that share the same passion and energy I do toward delivering this product. Um, you know, I've added a layer to it that, that allows me to connect it and other styles of it around the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, there's a professional group around around this that separate themselves. Like if you look at Airbnb, right? And, and again, Airbnb to me has been nothing but a godsend in terms of how it has magnified the idea of furnished living. Yeah, you know, in a way that creates the word experience, right? Experiential. I can only say that three times before I say it wrong, so I can't <laughs> say it again. But but they they're the ones that kind of coined it, and you know, it, and it's but within that Airbnb stack, only like twenty percent of those of those millions of options they have fall into this professionally managed category. Definitely right, and that's what make, gives room for reside to operate. Is we, we're able to to pull out of that pile those that are professionally managed and others that aren't even in that platform and then rebundle them so that our, our, the executives and the managers and the employees of these fortune 500 companies are getting, they're, they're getting the quality uh, and the standards, but they're also getting the opportunity to have the experience. Definitely. And, and I do find it interesting, right? There's two things about COVID that I found um, kind of, kind of interesting. One was, you know, I didn't have to make a big pivot with my company and leadership to operate during COVID because we've always operated on the move, yeah. which is, which is like remote only harder, right? Remote yeah. is your, Hey, you're at your house and you got your, your T1 pumping in and you're good to go. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, but, but on the move is you're, you're still working remotely, but you got to, you're at the, you're, you're at the, you're at the uh, airport with your headphones in trying to. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And, and, and I've always operated that way. So it wasn't really hard for me or my team to, to be ready for that. You know, we did have to kind of get our, you know, uh, I, I think we bought about, geez, between March 7th and 11th, we bought about 40 laptops um, for, for the call center. Cause we were, you know, we were set up with dual monitors and just, yeah. you know, regular, PCs. So it, it needed to happen. So, you know, it, it did. So that was, so then that was, we were quickly in that mode and use teams uh, versus zoom to do our work. And, and the other thing was, you know, and this is the other, this isn't COVID related so much as it's just a reflection of, you know, this idea of biz leisure, right? Mm-hmm. So a little bit of what you're talking about, this idea that you can have an experience in work and play, Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of, you know, especially I'd say, you know, it's funny what's old is new again. So I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm the last year of a baby boomer, 64, right? So I'm the, the debatable year, but I'm going <laughs> to call myself a baby boomer. I've been kind of working and traveling and playing for 20 years, yeah. right? Because I don't take real vacations like I'm supposed to. <laughs> so, Hey, I'm going to, I got to go to Paris for work. Cause I used to have an office there. Well, now it's going to be three more days tacked on. Mm-hmm. Right. Definitely. And that's how, and that's how I've always operated. Um, and now people are kind of coming to that, right? Yeah. Like, Hey, we can do that. We can go, we can go sit on a lake in North Carolina for two weeks and work and play. Right. So I think you're right. I think there, I don't think they're like, what are you going back to? Yeah. Right. What's the point? We've what, proven, yeah, we've yeah, what are you going can... back to? You're going to go back to that sad little hotel room. Yeah. And, and, and I don't mean, I don't want to offend the hoteliers because no. I, I mean, I still stay in hotels and for Same. two, three days. Yeah rock on. And I love it. I love a good, you know, omelet sent up to my room, at, you know, at, at, at seven in the morning, but, but it's not, you're not there for weeks. Right? 100%. That, I, don't, I don't even think they would try to convince you that it's good for you to stay yeah. in that room for a couple of weeks. Yeah. So, but I think now that people know you can do it and that now you can do these things differently. And now, now your boss is willing to accept it. Mm-hmm. Like all these things conspire to the evolution of, I think, you know, business travel, um, which means, 
I think I actually think you're going to see more business travel in that style. I don't think it necessarily hurts. I think the thing that's most at risk in all this in recovery is the day trip. Yeah, the day trip, or I, my opinion, like the conferences, like the business travel will happen, but I feel like conferences will be a little bit different. Like the yeah. like what like what you're talking about, like the go to work for three days, but then had add two extra ones or do it, you know, two yeah. weeks of remote, but work and play at the same time. Or or go to a conference yeah. in a cool city and get yourself a, an apartment, right? And don't stay at the conference hotel. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I, that was already, I was already starting to see that was, especially with the, the people that kind of work, you know, live and work in, in my, my industry, because yeah. we're used to staying like my girl, my kids, I have two girls, 2023, they, they have, they grew up in corporate apartments when mm. we were on the road. Like they, they, they actually never really like, why are we in a hotel? <laughs> you know, where's my room? <laughs> Your room is that double bed right there. That's your room. <laughs> So, but so I think more. I, I I do think that's a really interesting opportunity for. I think people are going to look at their disposable income, mm-hmm. look at yeah. what they want to spend it on, and and say, hey, I'm going to find a way to make a different. You know, it's almost like that gig economy worker, yeah. but they're not gig. They're the regular W two employees, yeah. so they're just going to find a way to make it work. And I think most people are somewhat. Um, they're they're prepared for it, and I think you know with certain levels of employees, I think it works. It actually works very well. I think it just, I think you're going to have to, I think people that are running companies are going to have to figure out where it works and where it doesn't. I just, I don't think one size fits all with that style of travel. Yeah. Well, it'd be interesting seeing a lot of people uh, recently on socials just saying like, Oh, it's time, you know, being called back to go to the office after a year and a half or 18 months. And it's like, why do I need to go back to the office? And uh, so I think we're going to see a little, maybe a little bit of shift. Some people going back, some people doing staying at home, do that flex living, flex working type deal, but it'll be interesting. Um, yeah. My last question for you, though, before we wrap up the episode is, uh, with all this being said, we've covered a lot, like a, a lot, a lot, and it's really good stuff. <laughs> and um, I'm curious to know, like, what's next for, not next, but, like, what's the big push for you guys with Reside? Like, what, what is in your guys' uh, uh, iron sights right now? Yeah, um, so we're... You know, so we talk about Reside 360 a lot. So I would say, you know, we're in, you know, we're, 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 we have a very functioning V version two platform that's out there and it's doing everything it's supposed to do. Um, we're in a big overhaul right now um, in terms of bringing the UI forward a little bit, uh, opening it up to be more um, end user uh, uh Based so right now it's a marketplace built for programs that are companies that have programs that need to be managed. We have, you know, a team that manages the process. You know, uh, uh, a twenty-four hour call center that handles you know the the challenges that may happen out there or help and assist. So, but it, but it's a curated managed pro, uh, tool. Like you working for say you work for IBM, you wouldn't be able to go on it and book your own. It wasn't built that way. It was built to deal with the big problems. Yeah. But but uh, but everything there to do it is there. It's just the UI needs to be, you know, evolved. And so we're deep into that. We'll have, um, I mean, Alpha comes out. Oh gosh, Alpha comes out in like five days. Um, beta will be probably in full, full production by October November. Cool. Um, um, so that's a big feature. Um, you know, the, the integrations that we've, that we've built into the tool will become more active. You know, we've tried to create a very guest journey oriented marketplace. So mm-hmm. what are the things you need along your path of a long-term stay are the partnerships we've developed, whether it's with companies like Turo, oh, yeah. um, you know, I love Turo, yeah. if, if you, you know, it's, it's awesome. Right. But you know, Turo is a marketplace for people. It's, it's the Airbnb of cars. Yeah. hundred percent. Right? So plug into that, right, and, and and plug into remote gyms and you know food delivery services that make sense, and, mm. and all all these things are part of this kind of revamped tech package, uh, you know, and, and 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 so that's that's a big feature, you know, the app uh, that that we're developing within it will will be very intuitive and useful. Right. We, we, we were we were very resonant to put on an app just so we could say we had an app like until we got an app that actually helps you and, and become it can become part of your journey. Yeah. We weren't yeah. going to we weren't going to do it. And, and, and we're we're 
as we're redoing the UI, all these things are coming together. So I think, you know, over the next six months, you're going to see some pretty remarkable technology come forward uh, that will give us you know, an even, even further leg up on, on what's out there. Um, and then, you know, we're going to continue to look at uh, partnerships with, with inventory that are unique um, and, and solve the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think there's, there's, we're in a year, we're probably in another 18 months of inventory compression yeah. nationally and globally. So that means we need to do a better job of growing the inventory channels. And again, if it's got, you know, if, if it's got a roof on it, it's clean, it's quality, and it's got a vetted ownership group around it, we can bring it into our universe, right? It doesn't have to be called anything. It just has to work for the, for the client at the time. Um, as long as, th- you know, as 360 does what it's meant to do, you can have peace of mind that what we're bringing into the supply ecosystem is going to meet meet your needs. So, you know, those are, those are the things we'll continue to focus on um, as, as we grow out the platform and, you know, then just continue looking down the road, you yeah. know, the, you know, as it, a futurist that I know uh, says often, it's, it's not the thing, it's the thing after the thing. Oh yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, and in that context, it's trying to, you know, you know, with, you know, it's trying to really understand what the clients and guests are asking for and thinking about, um, and trying to get ahead of the next evolution, um, you know, but, but again, you know, cause I, I, I have to say it at the end of all of it, we're in the hospitality business. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you've got, you've got, it's, it's still a human business. You, you, you know, everything we do, will still focus on presenting, you know, a hospitality face to the guest and client. Our, co- our core culture here at reside is kindness. We have one word. Um, and it fits everything. So it's, it's about, you know, being hospitable and kind. Um, and then, you know, everyone deserves to be comfortable even when they're not home. Mm. Right. That's so regardless of what we're offering, the comfort feature has got to be there, whether it's yeah. bed, whether it's the great shower, you know, whether it's furniture that works, you know, it's still delivering bait on your basic human needs, mm-hmm. you know, and letting technology enhance the experience, not let technology take over the experience. Yeah. I think that's a very slippery slope. And, you know, as long as we're associated with hospitality, we're going to lean toward the human side uh, equally. I love that. I love that. Well, uh, I guess, okay. I lied. Last final question is for <laughs> all the, uh, all the uh, listeners know that I put everything in the show notes, but where's the number one spot. I love to give the guests the opportunity to share where can they find you or more about your business and what you guys do. Number one spot to go. Uh, our website, www.staywithreside.com, uh, is the number one place to go. And then, uh, we have our LinkedIn, uh, LinkedIn profile page of reside is right there. Everything, everything's in two spots. Perfect. Love it. Well, you heard it. Slick talkers, go ahead, check it out. All the show notes below. You can click it right now as you're doing whatever you're doing. And we'll see you guys again next week. Thank you so much for listening. We love your support and want to provide the best we can to all our listeners. So please find us online, social media, and on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and Google Podcast. Smart locks, smart thermostats, automation, and a solution for any hotel and vacation rental company. Our show partners at Operto are the leading solution for operators to enhance their operations by integrating with your property management software and making sure that all your smart devices create a contactless guest experience while streamlining your operations. So don't forget to check them out on their website, send me a message, or just let them know that we'll send you and you are in good hands. So get ready to enjoy another episode of Slick Talk, the Hospitality Podcast, and check out operto.com or go to the podcast website and see our partners page.
What's up, everybody? If you've gotten this far into the episode of Slick Talk, the Hospitality Podcast, then you are amazing, and thank you so much for tuning in. We want to send you two places really quickly. If you can, check out the show notes and click the hospitality.fm link. Check out all of our other shows on the podcast network. And don't forget, if you have someone that you want to hear on the podcast, then fill out the guest fill-out form so that way we can get them on the show. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy another episode of Slick Talk, the Hospitality Podcast. Podcast.